just uh, bring your conversations to a close for this point. I should maybe say suspend them because we're going to have a, an opportunity to carry on our conversations later. It's um, really, really good to see everyone here tonight. And uh, Aaron did a great job earlier, but he forgot one person. Where is Aaron? I give him a telling off. No, Aaron, um, it's, it's okay. It's this lady over here. Katie Boudros is back from Chad as well. So um, really um, good to see you again, Caitlin. Um, no doubt over the uh, intervening time, we'll hear about how you got on. So um, tonight we're going to go back to the book of Mark. And it's a wonderful, silence is bliss, you know. This morning in Hurstbridge, I couldn't even hear myself because of the rain on the roof. And uh, some of it began to come in and soak things and uh, run down the wall. But uh, anyway, we survived. Let's pray as we, before we come to look at the Word of God in Mark chapter 4. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for these four witnesses in the New Testament, one of them being Mark. We thank you for how he has illuminated the kingdom of God for us. And we pray that as we delve into these verses today, that you will illuminate that whole topic for us in a way that we haven't seen it before and in a way that will help us as we go out into the world tomorrow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles tonight, please look at um, Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Maybe it's on your phone. If you're looking on your phone and you want to have the same words as I have, then it's the NIV, um, UK. It has to be UK. Sorry, Tom, Sue. That's <laughs> all right. Tom doesn't like the NIV anyway, so yeah. Next time we should try the ESV with that suit. <laughs> um, verse 21 of Mark chapter 4. And this is Jesus speaking. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is a, like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you can plant in the ground. Yet, when planted, it grows, and it becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. And as much as they could understand... He, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Yes, Lord, help us understand this tonight. 
You know, last week we had a look at a very famous parable, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soil, the parable of the seed, or all three if you want to be uh, more accurate. And uh, this week we're coming to a number of shorter parables or sayings that Jesus taught, four in fact, uh, all strung together here in this uh, little portion of Scripture. And these uh, parables or sayings of Jesus have been strung together in order to teach something um, really profound. And as we look at this, uh, one of the things that Mark is really showing us is that this is the way Jesus taught. The very last verse says, uh, 34, he, says, he did not say anything to them without using parables. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus used these sayings um, in order to explain what the kingdom of God is all about. And uh, it seems that, um, looking at this, that sometimes people understood, sometimes they didn't. But we'll look more into that as we go along. This was Jesus' way of teaching. I want us to look, first of all, at the illogicality of hiding that which is meant to light up its surroundings. Jesus uh, asks two questions. One um, is a kind of a positive question, and then another one is a negative question. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? And of course, that last question, don't you put it on a stand, begs uh, the immediate reply, of course you do. You take it out and you put it on a stand. What use is it under a bed or under a bowl? It doesn't light up anything. And, uh, but this is all well and good. What is Jesus actually talking about, this light? What is this light that lights up everything? And I think we, we need to look into the context of this portion of Scripture to see what it really means. As we do, I think we'll come to the conclusion that this portion of Scripture is about the kingdom of God. Twice in this portion, it talks about the kingdom of God. But if it is about the kingdom of God, then it's clearly about the king of the kingdom of God, which is who is Jesus himself. And Jesus was um, brought into the world as a little baby. And as he began his ministry, according to the book of Mark, it seems like he got more and more famous. The crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus got exposed the light began to shine. And then, finally, the light was set up on a stand. What was that stand? It was a cross. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus was put up on a stand. It was a very, very cruel stand. He was exposed. He was vulnerable. But from that very, very awful stand, the light of the world began to shine out. I want us to look also at the implication in this text that the kingdom of God is temporarily hidden. Verse 22 says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. This saying of Jesus is repeated in Matthew and Luke also. In, in the other synoptic gospels. And the hiddenness of the kingdom uh, is, a, is something that is going to end. Right now, it seems to be that the kingdom of God is revealed to some people and not to others. But there will be one day when the kingdom of God will be revealed to every single soul that has ever lived. The trouble is, for many, it will be too late already. Philippians chapter 2 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
So the kingdom of God is on a trajectory from hiddenness to full revelation. But the, the important thing for us is, brothers and sisters, and those who are yet not in the kingdom, it is that we discover what the kingdom of God really is and get on board with it before it's too late. Luke chapter 8 verse 10 says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. What a frightening thought. What a terrible thought that there are people in the world today who, although they hear, will not understand. Although they see, they will not perceive. That is a frightening, frightening thought. And it's imperative upon each one of us to be sure that we are not among those who are hearing and not understanding and seeing and yet not perceiving. So how is the kingdom of God revealed to us today? How is it brought to light? Um, if you're like me, uh, you will lament the fact that the majority of people in Australia today do not understand the kingdom of God. In fact, they're totally oblivious to it. Totally oblivious to a reality that is even supreme to our own reality. A reality that is very much more real than our present reality. For them, for whatever reason, it is still hidden. And I would say surely it is the prevailing worldview that hides the kingdom of God from many. Because what is being taught is very materialistic, very secular, very godless. And there is no place for uh, understanding things in the light of the kingdom of God. In fact, it cannot be perceived. There's no paradigm in their thinking to be able to understand or contemplate the notion of the kingdom of God at all. Because what they've been taught excludes it from their thinking. Uh, evolutionary thought, atheistic thought, uh, precludes any thought of the kingdom of God. And um, basically, when we begin to talk about the kingdom of God, they put it into the class of Greek mythology or some kind of um, other uh, ancient religion. It's all an, a load of nonsense to them. So how can these people ever be brought to the place of revelation and understanding about the kingdom of God? How can they see the kingdom of God? Well, we trust that many of them are yet to hear and yet to understand. And how does the kingdom of God get revealed today to people, to us? How was it revealed to us? Well, I think there are at least three ways. And um, the first is the kingdom of God is revealed today through the preaching of the word of God. And um, that is the primary way in which it's revealed, through the teachings of the word of God in the Bible. And, and in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and, the end, and then the end will come. And that's encouraging. Um, because if we think that the, the work of mission is um, being hindered or uh, being held back uh, indefinitely, we have a prophecy here that it will, in fact, get to the whole world. And indeed, if you go into Revelation, you will find that there's a verse or two there that says there'll be people there from every tribe, nation, and tongue before the Lord. So the wonderful news is that the gospel is going to get out there, but the way and the means by which it goes will be the preaching of the word of God. And when that happens, it's, it, God chooses to bring together the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the preacher in a powerful way in which lives are changed, lives are affected, and the Spirit is revealed to people. So the first way in which the kingdom of God is revealed is through the preaching of the Word. 
but I already hinted at the other ways. The kingdom of God is also revealed through the Spirit of God at work in the world. Matthew 12, verse 28. There Jesus says, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jesus went around, uh, you can see in Mark and the other Gospels, he went around casting out demons. And uh, he did it by the, by the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, uh, proclaimed the kingdom of God in the world. And the wonderful thing about it is, brothers and sisters, that to this very day, Jesus' followers are going about in the world casting out demons and uh, delivering people from the demonic. And uh, you may not have seen that happening yet, but I have. And it's a wonderful and glorious thing to see when people are liberated. Some of you, I know, have been liberated from the power of the demonic. And that is a powerful thing. You know yourself what it's like when you're set free from that power. And we bear witness that that was the Spirit of God who did that. So the kingdom of God is revealed through the preaching of the Word of God, and the kingdom of God is revealed through the Spirit of God um, manifesting in mighty works. And then thirdly, the kingdom of God is revealed today through its subjects. Who are the subjects of the kingdom of God? We are. We are. And in our uh, cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the Word, we reveal the kingdom of God to people. And uh, Matthew 5, verse 14 says, listen to this, you, this is Jesus speaking to the, the believers, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, didn't he? But then he says to us, the subjects of the kingdom, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. There's a church in Melbourne called The City on a Hill. I love that title. City on a Hill that Cannot Be Hidden. There's a town in my uh, country, where um, neighboring town where I live. It's called Rathfryland. And you can see it for miles around because it's on a hill. And uh, it cannot be hidden. At nighttime, the lights are exposed for miles and miles around. Likewise, we as the subjects of the kingdom, if we're living in... Uh, harmony with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we are like a city set on a hill. And Jesus goes on to say, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So there are the three ways in which the kingdom of God is revealed to the world today. I believe maybe there are others which I haven't discovered. But I believe these are vitally important. The preaching of the Word of God, the kingdom of God revealed through the Spirit of God, and the kingdom of God revealed through the subjects of the kingdom. But all of these are very linked. They're all inextricably linked. Take one away and it doesn't work. Um, but then we must ask the question, if we ask the question, how is the kingdom of God revealed today? We must ask another question. How is the kingdom of God hidden today? I think we need to ask that question too. And I think there are three reasons again why it's hidden, and two of them are our fault, and one of them is God's w wisdom. So the first one is, I believe that the kingdom of God is hidden today because um, often we as believers have failed to preach the gospel as extensively as we should. So um, when we shut our mouths and we don't tell uh, the people before us, the gospel, and we all have done that. Perhaps we should all take a time and 
uh, search our hearts regarding that. When we fail to preach the gospel, when we're supposed to preach the gospel, then we hide the kingdom, surely. If that's how the kingdom is revealed, through the preaching of the word, and we don't do what we're supposed to do, therefore the kingdom remains hidden to those who should have heard. Isn't that logical? And then another um, reason why the kingdom of God is hidden today is that we're not letting our light shine as we should. It's a bit similar to the preaching, but apart from that, the deeds that we're supposed to be doing and we're not doing, or we're hiding them in a way that we shouldn't. If we don't let our light shine, then the people will not see the light. It's all very logical, really. But there's a third reason, and it's a strange reason, why the kingdom of God is hidden today. It's not fully understood. In fact, today, um, at home with um, the kids, we were talking about a related subject. Matthew 11:25 says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. God has actually hidden certain truths in the Bible from certain people. That's hard to understand. There are people, you could talk to them till they're blue in the face about the gospel and they won't understand it because it's hidden from them. At least at that point in time, it's hidden for them. We trust that it's not eternally hidden from them, but it's possible. But what has God done instead? He has revealed these things to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Whatever you make of that, it is the clear teaching of Scripture that God hides things from certain people. And I think the, the onus is on us to make sure that we are not putting ourselves in a place where we um, are facilitating that hiding, but rather go after the truth of God. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, I can't understand this. I'm not able to understand this. Will you show it to me, reveal it to me? And I believe he will. Make sure you're not among those from whom things are hidden. If you were here last week, um, maybe not. Um, yeah, we, we did this verse last week here. Um, it says in verse 9 of chapter 4, If anyone has ears to hear, hear, let him hear. Or if anyone has ears to hear, let her hear. And that verse is repeated again in verse 23. And um, as I look around tonight at the congregation, I haven't noticed anyone yet without ears. Um, Maybe you have got long hair. Maybe you don't have ears under that. But um, I, I imagine that most people have ears. The thing is, um, even Lockie's got ears. Yeah. The, the thing is, uh, Lockie has spiritual ears as well. And these are the kind of ears that, that uh, the Lord is speaking about here. It's not physical ears. It's spiritual ears. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. And um, this is implying that those who do not have that kind of ear cannot hear. Those who have ears to hear are those to whom the mystery of the kingdom has been revealed and to whom the coming of Jesus makes sense. Now, are you among that group to whom the coming of Jesus makes sense? I trust you are. And then following hard upon the heels of this expression or this saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. It says in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear. 
Now this is um, uh, like what the Bereans did in the Acts of the Apostles. They heard the preaching of uh, Paul and Silas, I think it was. And uh, they didn't just lap it all up and say, okay, we believe that, we believe that. No. What did they do? They searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. And I think um, that is at least one of the things that Jesus is implying here. Consider carefully what you hear. The command um, has to do with how much we understand Jesus' teaching and the way we respond to it. Coming to hear the Word of God preached or even reading it at home in your own um, private room or wherever you are, or listening to it in the car, it's no light activity. It's a heavy responsibility. We are to consider carefully what we hear and to see if it's um, how it applies to us. When it's the Word of Jesus, it is true. So we need to really be careful and apply it to our hearts. And the, the, the truth of the matter is that today we need to consider carefully everything we hear. Because if you're like me, you will probably be at a stage in your life where you wonder, who in the world do I believe? You listen to the news. You know, you've got um, several news challenges, uh, channels, challenges, news channels on uh, the TV here. And you can go on the internet and you can get countless other news channels. But you know that the, the largest um, news channels are owned by five different corporations. And so they're, they're, they have an agenda. They're loading that news agenda into the news so that people get a certain perspective, which is not necessarily true, but it is the perspective of the corporation. And we have to be very discerning even about that. So I encourage you to um, take a variety of news channels and try to discern what's really going on in the context of the Bible. Um, but when we're talking about Jesus' words, it is even more important that we consider carefully what we hear. Because as Peter said to Jesus one time, you have the words of eternal life. And the one, the one who has the words of eternal life is definitely the one uh, we should listen to and treat as the, the, the truth. Now, uh, moving on then to verse 24. Um, it, it says there, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has or she has, will be taken from him or her. Now, I was just wondering what that really meant, and I, 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 I deliberated over it for a while and came up with a, a, a sentence which helped me understand it a bit better, I believe. Uh, something like this, however you quantify or qualify the teachings of Jesus, to that same degree and more, they'll be quantified and qualified to you. If you take the teachings of Jesus as they're meant to be taken really seriously and apply them to your life, you will find that it comes back to you in a wonderful way um, and even more. Reward it. There's a, another verse in the Bible that says, um, running over, pressed down, and shaken. Um, I grew up in the country, as I often tell you, and uh, when, they're, when they're filling out the grain and the sacks, maybe they don't do it like that anymore, um, but they used to, um, you'd think the sack was full when you, when you got it, put a few baskets of grain in, but if you stand it up, shake it up and down, then you find you can get another basket into it. That's the way 
the blessings of God come to us when we follow God in, its, in, its, um, in the fullness of obedience. He just pours blessing into our lives and shakes it up so that more can come in and then it just runs over the top, down the side. But if we neglect it, as it says here, even that which you have will be taken away. This is very, very sobering. And um, it looks to me here that for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is an ever onward, ever upward spiral. As we trust in him and as we grow in him, it's ever onward and ever upward. But for the unbeliever, it's ever uh, downward and backward to the point of complete and utter loss. That's for the unbeliever. Ever backward, ever downward, to the point of complete and utter loss. And this is very sobering, brothers and sisters, and would even be considered distasteful in today's world. But this is what Jesus is teaching here in these passages. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So you can see already that there is a heavy responsibility on us as individuals to make sure that we are on the side of Jesus, to make sure that we are obedient to the word. Now, as I read through this passage again, I found another thing that um, I, I thought jumped out. And it is that the kingdom of God has a certain mystery to it. The mystery is hinted at in verse 26, where Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know it. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. He does not know how. And that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. We can see it growing and spreading all around, but we really don't know how. There's a picture of a man scattering seed. Um, that should conjure up ideas or links with last week. It's an agricultural image again. Um, a farmer out scattering seed. And uh, once again, Jesus is appealing to an agricultural image. He was in a, an agricultural setting where all these things would have been totally uh, familiar to everyone. And uh, he wants to clarify two important elements of the kingdom. I think he's teaching here, first of all, that there's an element of mystery. That the, and also that the kingdom of God has got life in itself. The element of mystery is found in the sentence, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts, even though he does not know how. But um, so much about the kingdom of God is mysterious. We ask somebody, is the kingdom of God right now? Um, and the answer is yes. And the answer is no. There's a cafe in Warrandyke called uh, The Now and Not Yet. Have you ever been there? Um, well, that is actually a play on the idea that the kingdom of God is actually now, but it's actually not yet. And that means that it hasn't come in full. Jesus Christ is not reigning supreme in this world tonight. And, uh, but he will. 
There is a day coming when he will reign supreme. The kingdom of God began really, really small. And uh, we'll see that later. It didn't come with a mighty army. It didn't come with a vast, well-trained army to set up a kingdom. John Piper says this, The mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom came in Jesus like a mustard seed and not a military coup. It will someday be a huge and mighty tree. But the mystery of the kingdom, that, the mystery is that the kingdom has come into the world without the cataclysmic transformation most expected. So very often we wonder why they're still suffering. We wonder why things are so you know, retarded in terms of what we had hoped for. That's because it's an ongoing, gradual um, setting up of the kingdom of God. It will climax one day when he comes to reign. We have many glimpses of the kingdom of God nowadays and its power. Um, I think when I was growing up uh, as a Christian in a traditional Baptist church in Northern Ireland, we heard a lot about um, what God was doing in the mission field. We were a very missionary-minded church. And we kind of expected that only, only out there did these things happen. Um, we, oh, people were becoming Christians and all, but the more miraculous, more powerful things, they only happened out there. But to be truthful, we're seeing these things happening now in Australia. We're seeing healings, we're seeing deliverances, and they're happening more and more with increasing frequency. And this is, this is wonderful. Um, the kingdom has been revealed more and more. And you know, the reason why Jesus is not reigning supreme here of course, he has a timetable, but he's not reigning supreme because there are 7.5 billion souls who are autonomous. They have a mind of their own in this world, and Jesus is pretty much letting these things play out. And there also is an entity called Satan and a personal devil. He's not just uh, an imaginary negative force. He is a real entity who is influencing the world greatly. And he has a lot of power here at the moment through the lives of those who he has enslaved. And for that reason, the kingdom of God is not yet fully established. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations and the four corners of the earth. So we have this culmination of the kingdom of heaven yet ahead of us. Not only is the kingdom of God a mystery, but it's also got life in itself. Verse 28 says regarding the soil, all by itself, the soil produces grain. You see, the kingdom of God is something alive. It's living. It's active like the Bible. It is, it is organic. It's not an institution. It's not a privately limited company which needs people to operate it. The kingdom of God is alive and powerful in, in itself. And um, we note also that in the kingdom of God, there is order, beautiful order. Look at the way the harvest comes in the kingdom of God. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. The farmer uh, does not throw out his seed and then the next morning find the grain popping up, followed by the leaf and the stalk. No, there is a process, a clearly defined order to the kingdom of God. 
And I also found from this passage that the kingdom of God has a certain sign. as many signs, but one that came out of this is that increase and growth, or maybe they're the same thing, are a vital sign of the kingdom of God. As I um, did my study here, um, I did a certain thing. I don't know if you can see it from there, but you'll notice lots of colors on this text here. This is my Bible text. And when I, when I joined the Logos way back in 1986, um, we were studying Precept Upon Precept by Kay Arthur. And um, she gave us Bible texts, um, study books, but they had the Bible text, double spacing. And uh, the whole idea was to, with color pens, pencils, to make a, an observation and highlight everything that's the same topic in the same color and draw circles around it and things like that so that we can begin to see links with the, uh, through the passage and through the whole book that we're studying. And I would encourage you, if you're uh, studying the Bible, to do a similar thing. You can, you can have a key um, showing what there, certain topics actually mean. But I did this for certain subjects in this, and I looked and saw that growth and increase were themes coming out of this passage. And I believe that growth and increase are vital signs of the kingdom of God. Decline does not typify the kingdom of God. And if we were to look at a PowerPoint of the growth of the kingdom of God from the first day in Jerusalem to this present day, over time, it would just be a constant going out. If it, say it started off colored red, right, in Jerusalem, as the days and years went by, it would spread out, 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 out to Italy, Spain, North Africa. And uh, then it came to the 1700s, and there was a whole explosion into India, China, South America, Africa. Over the last 200 years, almost the entire world would be covered red as the kingdom of God spreads throughout every political nation in the world. There is no political nation in the world today that does not have a church. When I joined OM in 1986, there were five or six nations that had no known church. Mongolia, for instance. Mongolia today has a mushrooming church. Um, the wall was still up then, but um, then there was North Korea. We know that there are thousands of believers in North Korea. We even heard a few weeks ago that there were 50,000 of them in prison camps in North Korea. Saudi Arabia had no known church. We know there's a church in Saudi Arabia. Mauritania had no known church. We know there are believers in Mauritania. And so the kingdom of God is increasing and going outwards. If we go through Hurstbridge, for instance, you wouldn't know that there was a new thriving church in Hurstbridge. But if you were to look at the um, other churches that were established there, you might get the picture that things are going backwards. But they're not. The kingdom of God is advancing. And that, that is a wonderful thing. The missionary movement for the last 200 years was dominated by the Western nations, European and North America. But today, the missionary movement has been boosted greatly by forces from the East China, for instance, the Back to Jerusalem movement. Who's heard of the Back to Jerusalem movement? Wow. Brother Yun and others in China have um, been a great impetus in getting Chinese people to take the gospel uh, all the way back to Jerusalem. And then, of course, there's a, a great surge from 
Africa. I was uh, walking down the streets of Heidelberg in Germany a few years ago, where Gudrun is from, and um, a, a, a Nigerian lady walked up to me with a gospel tract and preached the gospel to me. Yeah, not amazing. Then there's um, South America. The, the missionaries are being sent out from South America as well, uh, all over the world. And there are missionaries from Egypt to the other nations of the Arab world. And so it goes, like crisscrossing like that, all over the place. And that's so, so wonderful. So the kingdom of God is mysterious. The kingdom of God has life in itself. The kingdom of God has order in it, and the kingdom of God is growing. Isn't that wonderful? It's like a mustard seed. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, Jesus said? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Now, I want to tell you a story about a mustard seed. Um, and I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. Um, our two boys, Joel and Caleb, were born with multiple food protein allergies, and uh, they were just getting worse and worse. Um, as life would go on, they would get allergic to more and more things. As they would begin to depend on a certain protein, their body would reject it. And um, this was uh, 2007. We were uh, attending Yarra Plenty uh, Christian Church down in Lower Plenty, and um, they decided to have a healing service. And it was to be in Heidelberg, another mention of Heidelberg, but this Heidelberg. And um, it was to be on the 20th of July, 2007. And um, we anticipated that healing service with great anticipation, especially Joel, who was um, only seven, but he knew deep down in his heart that something was going to happen that night. And he kept asking us week after week, when is this healing service coming? And uh, finally it came. We went to Heidelberg, and they began to worship. We walked in. People were singing. And for Joel, this was just too much. He said, when are they going to stop singing <laughs> so that they can pray for me? Because he knew that would be the night. But before they began to pray, uh, Steve Wyndham, the pastor, got out a packet of mustard seeds. And he sent them around to every congregant there. And he said, take one, put it in the palm of your hand, and have a good look at it. So everybody picked up a mustard seed, passed the bag along. And they really are tiny. They are tiny. And uh, I looked at it and thought to myself, oh, my goodness. If I don't have that much faith, I don't have very much faith. And I thought, I think I have that much faith tonight. And... Um, However little faith I had, I think Joel had enough for himself and Caleb because the Lord healed the two boys that night totally from their multiple food protein allergies. And that's just a little story about a mustard seed and what it can lead to. What about you? Do you have the faith the size of a mustard seed? There's another verse in the Bible that says, if you have this faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. May the Lord give us that faith. Just one more thing. Yes, Graham. Oh, the EpiPen. Oh, wait, I should have finished the story, shouldn't I? 
Yeah, well, um, we uh, went home from Heidelberg that night and there was nothing dramatic happened. You know, just for one hour, people came around praying for our boys and then they would move on to the next sick person. Like, it was just like everybody got up and prayed for everybody, that kind of thing. It wasn't the pastor or a special speaker coming and praying. It was everybody prayed for everybody and uh, things were happening all around. For one whole hour, that happened. We went home and the next morning we got up and um, we were about to serve up the normal uh, cardboard type food that the boys were eating. Um, yeah. And um, Andre and I thought, no, we, what are we doing? We can't do this. Did we not pray last night for one hour um, that the boys would be healed? And here we are acting faithlessly, um, going to give them this food that they're usually uh, eating. No, instead of that, we um, decided we'd give them Cocoa Pops and milk. Yeah, junk food. And um, well, maybe not the milk. Um, so we did, and we watched and waited. We thought maybe um, uh, we better just keep an eye on them. But nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. They weren't sick. They, they, they weren't um, holding their tummies. They weren't throwing up. So at lunchtime, we thought, let's go again. Let's give them some toast and scrambled eggs. Um, oh, the boys were so excited about eating this food. And um, we gave it to them. We weighed it. We weighed it. Nothing happened. And so every day that week, we gave them something new that they weren't allowed, something that would have previously hurt them. And every time, nothing happened. We'd held off with the really big one. That was soya. That was uh, anaphylactic for Joe. So we decided um, Saturday, one week later, we decided we'll give him the soya. But this time we had the EpiPen ready, just in case. And we didn't need it. Praise the Lord, we didn't need it because he was free. He was healed. And Caleb too. And um, they're very healthy now. Praise the Lord for that. Mustard seed. Faith the size of mustard seed. And the kingdom grows like that. What a wonderful um, encouragement to us. And I've seen other things happening uh, since that day, other miracles that have encouraged me greatly, encouraged many, many people. I know that the church there in Yarra Plenty was very encouraged by that. I know that Operation Mobilization, we worked for them, and uh, I was known as the father of the boys who got healed. Though I didn't have a name, but I had a kind of a story linked to me. And that was a big encouragement for the organization as well. But I want to look a little bit in closing about another thing that's increasing here that I see in the passage. In this verse 33, with similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Now, for me, that implies incremental understanding. The, the, the disciples could only handle a certain amount of truth at a certain time. And that's the way it goes. Jesus couldn't reveal everything to those men at that time. And in fact, we know even after Jesus went, these men struggled to understand everything in the kingdom. Like the Council of Jerusalem. What shall we do with these Gentiles? They didn't know automatically what to do. But as they waited upon the Holy Spirit, they came to the conclusion, this is what we'll ask of the Gentiles. And uh, as they went along, the Holy Spirit revealed more and more and more to them. And 
This is a, a sign of the believer. Incremental, the true believer. Incremental growth. Incremental understanding of the Word of God. I want, I want you to ask yourself today, am I increasingly understanding the Word of God? Or is it total nonsense to me? Can I not get a grasp of it? And, and if you're at that stage where you cannot understand it, I would say examine the root of your faith. Are you really in the faith? And come again to Jesus and just like we said earlier on, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal his word to you. Let me understand it, Lord. I'm struggling so much. Please give me your Holy Spirit to understand this word. And he will illuminate your soul and shed light on the mysteries that you still cannot grasp. The kingdom of God is so mysterious. Like We will spend our entire lives studying the word of God and we'll never come to an end of it. There will always be something more. And that's okay. Peter talks about having these things in increasing measure. And I, I trust that's the same for all of us, that we're all growing in our understanding of the Word. We all have a hunger, increasing hunger for the Word of God. So in conclusion, the kingdom of God is to be displayed for all to see. It is to be displayed through the preaching of the Word, through the Holy Spirit, and through we, through us, the subjects. The kingdom of God is not visible to all. The kingdom of God is growing through time. And the subjects of the kingdom of God are growing in their understanding. Are you growing in your understanding? Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these verses illuminating more of the kingdom of God and more about the king of the kingdom. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the king of the kingdom. And uh, we know the kingdom is here. And we know the kingdom is not fully here. But in the meantime, we strive to obey you as our sovereign Lord. Help us this week to understand more of you, more of your word, more of your intentions for us, and empower us to shine like a city that is set on a hill. In Jesus' name, amen.